Well, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. And we have Bibles that are marked at the passage we'll be considering in 1 Peter 1. These gentlemen have Bibles that are marked, and they will get one to you if you'll get their attention. As they make their way back, just wave at them, they'll get a Bible to you, and you can open it right to 1 Peter chapter 1. We had a great time at family camp this past week. If you were not able to attend this year, I encourage you to consider uh, attending next year. We make announcements about reservations for family camp on, around January so that you can have a jump on scheduling that. But those of us who were able to go enjoyed a, a great week of weather and a good time together. But one of the things that happened to me was uh, I was able to golf twice with some of the guys, enjoyed the fellowship, golf not so much. But uh, I lost my watch on the uh, golf course. Now, it was not an expensive watch, and I needed a new watch anyway, but I don't have one, and I'm not wearing one. Uh, so the... Yeah, thank you all. So, when you begin to walk out, I'll assume it's time for me to, uh, me to stop. So, in all seriousness, I just remembered that as I was sitting there. I don't have a watch, and I normally do look at that. I don't need 200 people telling me when it's time to quit, so I'll just designate John Roberts way in the back, and uh, let me know when it's, you know, about 10.35, and then I'll know when I'm getting warm, all right? First Peter chapter 1. People wondered about the consistent attention and the tender care that this man devoted to the ducks in the local river. He came every day to the banks of the Fox River, it's located in the greater Chicago area, to feed them and to just admire them for long periods of time. So someone finally asked him about his fascination with ducks. He said that he had served in Vietnam, and at one point his unit had been ambushed. Many of his friends were killed, and while he had not been shot, he lay down to look like he had been. He hoped that they would go away, but they didn't. The enemy kept coming, and through the fields they came. They'd put one more shot in every fallen man to ensure that he was dead. And suddenly, a covey of ducks flew overhead, and the attention of the soldiers was diverted, and in their excitement, they began running after the ducks to shoot at them instead. And in the end, they stopped checking the field for men, and they left. Ducks saved his life. So he loves ducks. And our passage today tells us that God has given us life. So we should love him and his people. Notice verse 22 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the Word that was preached to you. Chapter 2, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, 
crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's bow and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we need your help as we look into your word. Help us to understand. And help us, Lord, in our hearts to be willing to receive and to move from this place different than we came so that we can reflect the image of Jesus and thereby thereby honor and glorify you. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 are part of a section that goes back to chapter 1 and verse 13. And we began to look at that two weeks ago. We had a one-week break with Father's Day last Sunday. And though there are many actions that are stated and implied in the 16 verses that go from chapter 1 and verse 13 to chapter 2 and verse 3, there are in those 16 verses only four direct commands. The first of those is in verse 13 of chapter 1. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. And then the second is in verse 15. Be holy in all you do. Now, we looked at those two uh, two weeks ago. And if you'll take the outline that's inserted in your program, you'll see that the first two major points are in gray. And that's because we covered those. And we covered those, as is indicated in the outline, that in light of what God has done for us, as listed in verses 1 through 12, verse 13 then starts out, Therefore, we should live as if God is worthy, we saw two weeks ago, of trust. When it says to set our hope in Christ and His return. He is worthy of trust and therefore we can set our hope in Him. Secondly, we saw last time, Live as if God is worthy of imitation. Verse 15 says, Be holy in all you do. Verse 16 says that you are to be holy even as I, the Lord, am holy. Today we want to look at the third and fourth commands in light of what God has done for us. Verses 22 through 25 teach us a third thing with this third of those four commands. And that is that we are to live as if God is worthy of fame. Live as if God is worthy of fame. Because verse 22 says this. Love one another deeply from the heart. Now what has that got to do with living as if God is worthy of fame? Well, Peter has been pointing us, like all of Scripture points us, to the fact that life is ultimately about God. In the midst of your difficult circumstances, like those that were being experienced by the people to whom Peter was first written. In the midst of all of it, remember that life is first vertical. Life is first Godward. That God is at all times and in all situations seeking to do one thing. And that is to display His character. To show what He is like. To do that in His world and to do that through his people. And so when we carry out the first command, and we trust God, we set our hope in the coming of Christ in the future, we're displaying his character, because we are saying he is trustworthy, and therefore I can live with this hope, even in the difficulties of the day-to-day. 
And when we live holy, as He is holy, thinking as He would think, talking as He would talk, acting as He would act, we show that He is worthy of imitation. And if that is the point of it all, to bring glory to God by displaying what He is like in His world, if that's what it's all about, and it is, then His character should not only be cultivated in our own individual lives, but it should be encouraged in others. His fame should be spread as more and more people live consistent with what He is like. And for that to happen, God enlists us to love one another. Do you remember what Jesus said the night before He was crucified? He said, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, a few weeks ago, I gave a working definition of love, taking into account all that the Bible teaches about that important subject. And that working definition was this. Love is doing what is in the best interest of another. Now, think about the best interest and think about the others whose best interest we need to take account of. Well, first of all, if life is vertical, first and foremost, then then what is in God's best interest? You know, it's in God's best interest that His glory be displayed. And so if we love Him, we'll desire and we will do that. And it's in our best interest that we display God's glory. And it's in others' best interest that they display God's glory. And it's in the world at large's best interest that it sees the glory of God being displayed. And so Peter is telling us life is all about that. In the midst of all the difficulty that was going on with the people to whom he was writing and the persecution that they were in the midst of or beginning to experience... And in all that's going on in my life and in your life, it is still vertical. It is still Godward. It's still about God and His glory and the display of that glory through His people and more and more of His people so that we love one another in order to encourage each other to display Jesus. And I say in your outline that we're to live as if God is worthy of fame because we were saved to love. We were saved to love. Verse 22 says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. When it says you have purified yourselves, it's not that you and I created our relationship with God. Sounds that way, but it is most definitely not that. Verse 20, just a couple of verses up of chapter 1 says, Christ was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. That is, God initiated our salvation before we were ever born and even before the world was created. So don't take from verse 22, now that you have purified yourselves, that somehow we have made ourselves right with God. Verse 3 of chapter 1 says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth. And, of course, no one initiates his or her own birth. And in the case of the spiritual life that we've been given, there were no human parents to take responsibility either, only God. And that's why John, in his gospel, chapter 1, says, 
we are children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. We've purified ourselves then in the sense that we've participated with what God has initiated in us by believing the gospel. And hear this, believing the gospel is a command of God that must be obeyed. And so God throughout his word says, believe, repent, come to me. I offer myself to you, but it is a command that must be obeyed. And so the Bible says, God will punish those who do not know God, and notice this, and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might on the day He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at. (laughs) On the day He comes to be marveled at among all those who have believed. So there is the command to believe, and then believing is obedience to that command. But even the ability to believe comes from God. Philippians chapter 1. It has been granted to you to believe in Christ. Believing, that is obeying the truth, results in having sincere love for one another, says verse 22. Now, when it says in verse 22 that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, that is, believing the gospel, so that you have sincere love for one another. When it says sincere, it's referring to genuine love. No ulterior motives. And so, a given relationship then, if it is sincere, is not first about what I can get out of it. If it's sincere love, then it's about helping you to be like Jesus. Relationships that are self-serving. Now you just think about your relationships. Particularly young people. Think about your relationships. (laughs) Yikes. I mean, all the casual relationships, all the Facebook, Facebook relationships? I mean, is there really such a thing? And you've got a thousand people who like you? Who you've never met? And then people that you've only met for a few weeks, like you are my new BFF? Until next week, when you're not, and on and on the drama goes. Now you think about what's happening there when we do that. We are using relationships. And rather than them being self-sacrificial relationships for the benefit of the other, to help them become more like Christ, even if that means saying and doing hard things, Relationships become self-serving. They're manufactured and they are manipulative and they are exclusive. This sincere love is 1 Corinthians 13 love. It's the opposite of the hypocrisy that we will see in chapter 2 and verse 1. We've been given the ability then to love when we were saved when we came to God through Jesus Christ. And now, having been given that ability, now that we have purified ourselves by obeying the truth of the gospel, by believing it, we're commanded to love one another deeply from the heart. When it says deeply, it's referring to love that is energetic, love that works at it, 
Love that is serious-minded, not casually-minded about our relationships. They are too valuable, and the people in those relationships are too valuable, and the end goal of those relationships from God's perspective is too valuable to be casual. And so this same word, deeply, is used in the Garden of Gethsemane. As Jesus prayed, the Bible says, being in anguish, he prayed more, and there's the word, earnestly. And then the early church gathered in prayer for Peter and the apostles as they were imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And the Bible says Peter was kept in prison, but the church was, and there's the word, earnestly praying to God for him. And so, friends, please hear this now. From God's perspective, there is no such thing as casual love. There really is no such thing as Facebook love. And people you move to and from in a matter of weeks and months, transient, so-called love is not the deep, serious, arduous commitment to one another that we are called to display in order for Jesus to be seen in us and thus God to be glorified. Love that has no ulterior motives. Love that seeks the best for someone else rather than for ourselves. Love that looks to give more than to receive. That is a tall order for us, isn't it? It's more than a a tall order for self-absorbed people like you and me. It's more than a tall order. It's an impossible order. So how then can we do it? And that's what verse 23 then begins to tell us. Notice the first word of verse 23. For you have been born again. You see, how is it that I'm going to be able to do this? For because. You'll be able to love sincerely. You'll be able to love one another deeply from the heart. You'll be able to do this not because you're naturally able to do it, but rather for because you have been born again. And then goes on to tell us how it is that we have been born again. This love is only possible because of the new birth. You have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. Now, this says then that a seed has been implanted in us. A seed that is to grow, an imperishable seed from the Word of God of God. Now think about seed for a bit. Seed gives life. And Peter contrasts two kinds of of birth, that of perishable seed and that of imperishable seed. A perishable seed is the seed that creates human life, and the life that it creates is life like ours, which is, is temporary. But imperishable seed is the seed that creates spiritual life, and the life that it creates is eternal. And so, one reformer in the year 1495, little Bilney, John Piper writes about his experience with the Word of God and the seed of the Word of God being implanted within him. He says he studied law and he was outwardly rigorous in his efforts at religion, but there was no life within. And then he received a Latin translation of the Greek New Testament. And here's what happened. Little Bilney says, I chanced upon this sentence of St. Paul. O most sweet and comfortable sentence to my soul in 1 Timothy 1. It is a true saying and worthy of all men to be embraced. 
that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief and principal. And then he goes on to say, this one sentence did so exhilarate my heart, being before wounded with the guilt of my sins, being almost in despair, that immediately I felt a marvelous comfort and quietness, insomuch that my bruised bones leapt for joy. And after this, the scriptures began to be more pleasant to me than the honey or the honeycomb. I can tell you that in my own testimony, having grown up as a pastor's son, having grown up in church, having heard the gospel, having heard the teaching of the Word of God, it was not until age 19, in my bedroom, reading the Word of God, reading Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not by works so that no one can boast. And I remember the light going on for me and the change in my heart at that moment as the seed of the Word of God had its good effect in my heart. And I had a desire then to learn God's Word and to teach, ultimately, God's Word. And I ask you, friends, to think about Has that effect occurred? As Peter says, it should most naturally because supernaturally we have been given this life. Seeds give life. And seeds give something else. They give purpose. Many of you are familiar with the passage in Isaiah chapter 55. It says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return empty. But it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Peter goes on to tell us, that this seed now that's been implanted, it gives life, and then it, the seed being the imperishable Word of God achieves its purpose, and its purpose is for us to issue forth now in lives that display the character of God, most notably in our love for all, and especially those that are of the household of faith. And so he tells us of the transience in verse 22. Of human life, but the enduring, permanence, eternality of the Word of God. Verse 24, notice, starts 4. Now, I just want you all to just catch this quickly. I always try to point out to you these connecting words. So you just read, we just read the Bible and we just kind of skim over it quickly and it doesn't make much sense to us. It just looks like a loose collection of sayings, but they actually fit together. So Peter actually had a purpose in having verse 24 follow verse 23. He's just talked about the fact that the seed of the Word of God has been planted in us to give us life, and that that Word will achieve its purpose. And now he says, for, because. And then notice it's in quotation marks. So it's a quotation from someplace else, and that someplace else turns out to be Isaiah chapter 40. Now, in Isaiah chapter 40, in your Bible, Isaiah has just given a prophecy that God's people are going to be taken into exile. 
And they are in need of of comfort. Just as Peter's readers are in need of comfort, just as we are in need of comfort in our circumstances, Isaiah then gives this comfort by saying this. What's in verse 24? People are like grass. Their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, do you know why that was comfort to the people in Isaiah's day? And why it was comfort to people in Peter's day? And why it should be comfort to you and to me? Isaiah, God was saying through Isaiah that despite what is happening and what is going to happen in your exile and your captivity, despite all the bad stuff that is happening, my word will not fail. Though people come and go and people pass away, my word endures forever. It will accomplish its purpose. Because it is my word, it endures forever. And so what I have promised, the good things that I have promised for you, my people Israel, they will most assuredly come to pass despite the way things appear in the present. The same thing then is being said to Peter's readers. The same thing is being said to you and to me. Going back to the command back in verse 13. Set your hope on what will be revealed in the day of Jesus Christ. It most assuredly will happen. And in the meantime, I am calling you to love. Now, what's the connection? This is most assuredly going to happen. People come and go. People are temporary. My word is forever. And I'm commanding you to love now in the present. What's the connection between us? Here it is. Listen. Love requires risk. Love requires risk. Love requires sacrifice. And the only way you will risk it The only way you will sacrifice for the benefit of another is if you know that this time is temporary and there is reward later. Only the people who know absolutely this confident expectation of the hope that we have in Christ because His Word endures forever, it cannot fail. Only people who know that and believe that will leave it on the field, as it were, for Jesus will give it up for God and give it up for others. And that's what we're being called to do. Love one another deeply from the heart. And you can do this because you have been given life and because the life has come from the imperishable seed of the Word of God that accomplishes its purpose and the Word of God endures forever, unlike the transience and the brevity of our lives. And so I am to obey this Word. And this word commands me to love one another deeply from the heart. And understand, friends, as we obey God's word, we are obeying God himself. It's not just any book. It's not just a book of good suggestions. This is God's book. And God's book mirrors, now hear this, it mirrors his character. So it is not up for debate. I'm going to give you some verses that show that God's Word mirrors God's character. Because I want us each to see the seriousness of being confronted with what God says and the absolute necessity for us to say, Yes, Lord. Isn't it the case 
that we come into church week after week, if we're honest. And we open the book, and we think to ourselves, I may or may not do what I hear today. Now hear this, if what you hear, if what you read during the week is what God says, there is no may or may not. It's yes, Lord. God's word mirrors his character, and we have been called to emulate his his character. And so Psalm 33 says this, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Psalm number 18, God's way is perfect, and the Lord's word is flawless. Psalm number 138, You have magnified your word together with your name. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And so, friends, there's a sense in which then a desire for the word is a desire for God. Conversely, a lack of desire for the word is what? I just want to pause there for a moment. Do you desire the Word? Because desiring the Word is a means by which we desire God. And if I fail to desire His Word, to read His Word, to feast on His Word, to learn His Word, if I find every excuse not to be where His Word is taught, then we need to repent of that, confess that, because it's a, it's a lack of desire for God, which brings me to that fourth command, which is found in beginning in chapter 2. That we're to live as if God is worthy of fame, and we are to live as if, fourthly, God is worthy of desire. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Before I get on a roll, what time is it? 1025? Oh, beautiful. <laughs> Live as if God is worthy of desire. And notice how chapter 2 and verse 1 begins. Therefore. So therefore, based upon all this and all these connections, here's the command, love one another deeply from the heart. How is it that I'm going to love one another deeply from the heart when I'm a self-absorbed person? Well, here's how. It's because you've been had implanted within you the seed of the Word of God. And you're going to be able to, to do this because the Word of God accomplishes its, its purpose. And its purpose is to see the image of Christ created in you as you love and as you trust and as you display the character qualities of God in the circumstances in which He's placed you. And you'll be able to leave it on, on, the, on the field. You'll be able to sacrifice and risk because you know this is not all there is. Things come and go. People come and go. But the Word of God endures forever. And this is the message that was preached to you, end of verse 25. Therefore, chapter 2 and verse 1. Get rid of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. When it says to, get, to rid yourselves, it's to some translations say to put off. We're to put off unloving behaviors, whether outward or inward. And it's a clothing illustration. It's used mostly in the New Testament as here of putting off sin. You remember at the end of Acts chapter 7, 
as Stephen, uh, the first martyr after, after Jesus was stoned to death. There was a young man named Saul. And the Bible says those who were stoning Stephen laid their coats at the feet of this one named Saul. It's the same word as they laid their coats aside and put them at the feet of Saul that we're told here to, to get rid of, to, to put off these characteristics. And these sins that are listed here, friends, in verse 1, of malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and, and slander, these are not the grosser sins of paganism and of the world. We all rebel, I trust, against those. We all see, at least externally, the problems with, with those. But these are the sins that destroy community, that destroy relationships. We're being called to love one another. And so we have the seed and therefore the ability to, to love one another. The Word of God endures forever. We have the confident expectation of the hope of the return of Christ. Therefore, we can do this. And so rid yourselves of all of these things that destroy relationships. Notice what these are. Malice. Evil thinking of others. Or evil intent toward others. This is an inward thought process that drives the way we view others and then leads us to manipulation, deceit, lying, hatred, bitterness, anger. And it says we are to put all away, not just certain parts of it. Now, how do I do that? Just to ask you, as I ask myself now, think about how you think about other people. Think about whether you think about other people. You know there are people who don't think about other people. I mean, I know it when I talk to them. It is all about who? It is all about them. It is all about... And, and, and when you are talking, they are simply thinking of something to top what you just said. Right? So think about whether you think about people. One. And then if you do, what do you think about? Do you think about what we saw at the end of, verse, of chapter 1? that what I am to do is to love one another for the purpose of them becoming more like Jesus. So how can I help them to do that? Or do I think about them in terms of competition? Do I think about them in terms of how I can compare and contrast myself to them? Put away all, all malice. And so think about people and then think about people in the way that God has told us. How can I be used as an instrument of change in their lives? Put away all deceit, falsehood, flattery, taking advantage of what someone else does not know. And notice again, just like with malice, it's all. Not some deceit, not a little bit, not a little bit of manipulation. Hypocrisy. Pretense, duplicity, insincerity, inconsistency, two-faced, false promises. This is the opposite. This is actually the negation of the word in Greek that's found in verse 22 that's translated sincere love. The opposite of that, then, is hypocrisy. So I think, you're, I think you love me until I find out what you said about me or until I find out what you claim I did or said when you were with another group of people. Hypocrisy. Envy. 
being desirous of what someone else has to the point of causing strife or division about it, or perhaps even becoming bitter about it. It's grieving, now hear this, envy, it's grieving at the welfare or the good of somebody else. It's part of the reason that I have to top what you said, (laughs) because I don't like that good things are happening with you. It's one of the works of the flesh mentioned in Galatians chapter 5 that does not inherit the kingdom of God. In Titus chapter 2, it's one of the ways that believers are said to used to have lived in their former lives. We were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Titus chapter 2 and verse 3. And then verse 1 mentions slander of every kind. It's just to talk down is literally what the word slander means, to talk down. I just had the experience recently of mentioning someone's name, the fact that they were relocating in the presence of someone else who knew them, and immediately an individual started to talk about how foolish this move was, why they shouldn't do it, and began to talk down. Now, I was in the presence of others. I wasn't able to correct that at the moment, but it's an example of that very thing. Someone's name is mentioned and or you mention their name, and you talk them down in whatever way. So gossip, spreading rumors, talking about people in a negative way, even if what you've said is true. The unbiblical use of the tongue against another person, cutting down, attacking, and so on. Wayne Grudem says this, All of these sins aim at harming other people, whereas love seeks the good of others. These are all incompatible with the fervent love that we are called to have for each other. And so now chapter 2 and verse 2 says, instead of that, putting that away like newborn babies, and here is this fourth command, then desire, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Our growing up to salvation demands a love that is known for putting away some things while desiring, craving, longing for other things. The things that we're to put away have one thing in common. They all undo other people. They destroy relationships. And in contrast, what we're to desire is the Word of God whereby we will be able to love that builds up and strengthens relationships. If you want to love, you must feed your soul. You must feed your soul on the Word of God. It's the main command then, the fourth command of these four in these 16 verses of the passage. Like hope back in chapter 1 and verse 13, be holy in chapter 1 and verse 15, love sincerely back in verse 22. This is a command and the word that's used here is used most often in scripture in terms of relationships. This is one of the few New Testament uses that doesn't have to do with relationships, but rather desiring the pure spiritual milk of the Word of God. Most of the time, this word that's translated crave, desire, is used of relationships. And so let's think about it that way. Let's put it in the context of relationships. Imagine missing someone and longing to be able to see them. You know the ache in your heart, the almost unbearable emptiness in your life. The Apostle Paul used this very word of his longing to see God's people to whom he administered at various cities. 
And it was because there was a great desire to see the people to whom he was a spiritual father or grandfather. And this word is now being used of the Word of God. We should have that longing, that aching, that desire, that craving for the Word of God. The Word of God is the source of spiritual nourishment, and that's why it's called pure spiritual milk. Milk is not used here to say that we are babes, although it does say that we need to to grow up, we all need to mature, but rather it's giving us milk as the quality of something that nourishes the soul. It's that which gives life and sustains it. The teachings about Jesus and the gospel and how it applies to life. As we saw in verses 22 through 25, it's the thing which gives life is the word that was preached to you according to verse 25. This should not be understood solely in terms of personal Bible study. Think about this. Peter's readers did not have what you have. Think about it. They didn't have Bibles. But you're to desire, you're to crave pure spiritual milk of the Word. So what did that mean for most of them? That meant in community, talking about the Word of God. That meant certainly coming together on a regular basis to be taught verbally, the Word of God. It meant for them taking advantage of every opportunity that they had in order to have intake of the Word of God, and it means the same thing for you and me. Crave this pure spiritual milk that is the means by which we grow up in our salvation. This longing for the Word is an activity of the mind and of life. It's not a feeling. It's a different way of thinking. And friends, it has to be cultivated such that it eventually becomes a condition, a habit of life. We're going to finish in just a moment. But I just ask you to ponder, where are you in relation to the Word of God? Do you read it every day? Do you desire to come and hear it taught and to learn it better and to make application of it? Longing for the milk of the word is incompatible with the kinds of behaviors that are listed in verse 1. It's the work of the word to remove those things. So what is it that's going to nourish us? Are we going to be nourished on anger, deceit, slander, evil thinking, or will we be nourished on the truth of the word of God that's able to make us grow into salvation? And desiring, craving, longing for the Word serves the purpose of helping us grow into our salvation. Longing for the Word is what you do when you have, according to verse 3, notice, tasted that the Lord is good. We're going to end, but here's my fear, dear friends, brothers and sisters. My fear when there is a lack of desire for the Word of God is is that it's because verse 3 of chapter 2 is not true for us. Because we have not tasted that the Lord is good. You see, those who have tasted that the Lord is good, like little Bilney, who said after I read 1 Timothy chapter 1 that Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst, after I read that, the Word of God opened up to me and I desired it more than honey in the honeycomb. 
after the light was turned on for me and that seed implanted in my heart at age 19, I wanted to read and learn and study and proclaim God's word. But all of that is because little Bilney and little Kenny had tasted that the Lord is good in salvation. And the seed was planted and the seed begins to grow and to flourish. We're going to bow our heads in just a moment. We're going to ask God to help us to love one another deeply as we imbibe his word regularly. We're going to ask for God's aid with that. We're also going to give an invitation for church members to be saved. You know it's possible to be a member of the church and not know Jesus. And if we do not have our hopes set on Jesus, we not, if we do not trust Him, if we do not desire to imitate Him, be holy in all you do, if we do not engage in our relationships in seeing them as means by which we can help others grow in Jesus, love one another deeply from the heart, if we do not, fourthly, crave the pure spiritual milk of the Word of God, it may be that we come to church and we're not saved. Well, we say, oh, that's awful. Well, here's, oh yeah, it would be awful to keep it that way. You know, we say that and we say, oh my. What if there's someone who had been a member of the church who was not saved and they come clean on that and they say, the Lord has touched my heart so that I see my need and I'm embracing the Savior for the first time. I've been playing church. That would be a marvelous thing, wouldn't it? Praise God. It would mean eternity for that individual. It would mean that individual begins living now for the purpose for which God has left us here. And it would mean health for God's church as well. And so let's ask God to help us love one another deeply from the heart, to continue to desire His Word. Does anyone here say, you know, none of those things are characteristic of me? I don't believe I'm saved. You can be, and here's how. You realize that you're a sinner. Recognize who Jesus is and what He's done for you. He lived the life you should have lived, died the death that you deserve to die. Repent. Lord, I want to go your way. I want those things that Peter has said should be true of me because of what you have done for me. I want those to be true of me. I want to follow you with my life. And so, from your heart to God, you say, Lord, I've been in church. I haven't been saved. I ask you for the seed of the Word of God to be activated in me so that I am born anew and brought into your family. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that I can call you Father only because I am your child and I am only your child because of your mercy extended to me. It is not through any good that I have done. It is not because of any merit that I own. It is only because at a point in time the Word of God was activated in my heart by the Holy Spirit. And I began to see its beauty. And I began to see my need. And I began to see that a loving Savior is good. And I tasted that the Lord is good because He meets my deepest needs. Lord, I thank You for the journey then that has ensued for these over 30 years now. And I thank You, Lord, for the seed of the Word of God that grows, 
And I thank you for the difference that it's made. It is all because of you. Lord, I thank you for the testimony of so many here who could say the same thing. The light went on when they heard the word of God. And Lord, we, we, we forget though, I forget, that I am here to emulate you, that I am here to show your character, most chiefly to love as you have loved, to see the relationships that you allow me to have in our individual families, in our church family, in our neighborhoods. We are to love, and we are to love for the purpose of seeing people come to you and show forth you. And so, Lord, because we forget, thank you for this reminder. Lord, we ask you to help us to love one another deeply from the heart. Lord, I pray for any who came into this room as church members or perhaps guests, but they don't know Jesus. And all of the characteristics that our brother Peter has listed, they are not characteristic of me. You, have, you bid them make that right. You bid them receive your yoke that is easy, your burden that is light. We thank you that the Lord Jesus has done all that we could not do. And so I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is moving on the hearts of some to draw them to yourself. Lord, bring glory to yourself through our lives, through our lips, and by bringing people out of the world and to yourself, even people who may be members of your church. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pastor Matt's going to come. We're going to stand, sing our closing song. I just want to say... If anyone was saved, if anyone came to Jesus, we want to help you now grow in Jesus. And so let me know that. Let me know that when you leave today. I'll shake your hand when you leave. Just say we should get together. Give me a call this week. Send me an email so that we can help you take first steps in your new direction. Let's stand together.